So a few things to cover before the sermon. Uh, I, I know I, I kind of pulled a Todd Richards today wearing some bright colors. I have a theme, so I got a Hawaiian shirt on, and it's Hawaiian pizza. I got my pizza socks on, so that, that was the theme for me today. But yeah, um, other than that, uh, one quick thing for those in class. I have the past and current notes over there on that little table to the left. If you were not, if you missed a week or whatever, and you want the past notes, they are over there. Uh, and another thing is next week, as mentioned, I will not be here, and I'll have Tyler Burdett fill in. He was a, a peer of mine. He graduated with me. And so again, he, he's really good. He's a really good preacher. And so I think uh, you all will enjoy it. And one last thing that I cannot forget, my parents have, they're here, uh, they're visiting, they are, which under, I guess you could say good and bad circumstances. They were, they were originally planning on going to Colorado for a trip, but then my dad broke a toe. So yeah, they're here now. We were, we were the, uh, the last resort, <laughs> but no, they are here, and so, you know, uh, my, my mom, you know, she requested that I cut the sermon by five minutes, so I'm going to get, oh, she's tapping her watch, I better get underway. Um, anyway, uh, to start the sermon, I want you to imagine uh, what you think a strong person is. What do you think a strong person is? Do you think they, they're, like, jacked? Do you think they have a lot of muscle? Uh, are they very intelligent? Can they reel in a 20-pound bass? What do you think a strong person is? Eddie's shaking his head. Yeah, they can reel in a 20-pound bass. So imagine what you think a strong person is, right? Now take that image. Whatever you think means to be, whatever it means to be strong, imagine them. And here's the thing. No matter how strong somebody may appear to be, every single person on earth is weak. No matter how strong no matter how much muscle they have, no matter how many fish they've reeled in, no matter how intelligent they are, everyone is weak. And guess what? Even Jesus was weak, and he chose to become weak. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind. What mind? A selfless mind. Look not only to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. In fact, you're supposed to count others as more significant than yourself. So let me tell you what would not have been in Jesus' own interest if he was concerned about his own interest. He would not have set foot on earth if he was concerned about his own interests. He had all power, he had all authority, he had the throne, yet he emptied himself. Jesus gave up the rights he had. He gave up almost all of it. 
Now, generally, we believe God to be a, an O3 God, right? And I'm, maybe Dr. Martin has brought this up before when he preached, uh, filled in a little bit, right? An O3 God. Well, what's an O3 God? Well, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent, right? All-knowing, all-present, and all-loving. We generally believe God to be an O3 God, but here's a question for you. Was Jesus O3? Was he all-knowing, all-present, and all-loving? Well, on earth, we can eliminate one pretty easily, right? He was incarnated. He was in a body. He was not all-present. But what about all-knowing? Was Jesus all-knowing? Now, you might be conflicted about this. On the one hand, Jesus is very perceptive, right? Knowing the thoughts of others. You can see that in Matthew 9, verse 4. But on the other hand, Luke 2, verses 40 through 52, it, it talks about how Jesus grew in wisdom and stature before God and man. So if he was all-knowing, what's the point of growing? Why would he grow if he was all-knowing? One thing Jesus certainly was, though, is he was all-loving, right? There's not a single moment in Jesus' life where he ceased to love. So why do I bring this up? Again, he gave up rights. He chose to be confined in a body, a weak body, a human body, a fleshly body. He chose some limitations to the mind. Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus allowed himself to be weak. And since he allowed himself to be weak, he can identify with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15 say this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Was tempted in what? Every respect, yet without sin. Now, this is where Jesus' weakness is different than our own. Right? We are weak because we are in the flesh, and guess what? We are sinners. Now, the Greek word for weakness, it occurs around 84 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it deals with weakness in the flesh. And often this weakness in the flesh leads to sin. But Jesus, while he can identify with being in the flesh, one thing he cannot identify with is being a sinner because he never fell into temptation. Continue on in verse 16 and following. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins except for Jesus, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reference. Jesus offered prayers, supplications, with loud cries and tears to him, that is God, who was able to save him from 
death. You see, this is another reason why we know Jesus was weak. Jesus needed God. Why else would he offer prayers and supplications if he did not need God? Church, if Jesus needed God, if the Savior of the world needed God, if Jesus, who had all power, who had all authority, who had a throne, if he needed God while on earth, we most certainly need God. So remember the main point from the first sermon in the series? For God's power to be made perfect in our weakness, we need to first recognize that we are, in fact, weak We need to recognize we need God's grace. We just need to recognize our desperate need for God. Because if we do not do that, then God's power will not be made perfect in our weakness. Jesus, a man without sin, is still fully aware of his need of God. And now, I know this is confusing to say. Some of you would be thinking, well, wasn't Jesus God? It's kind of weird to say, well, Jesus needed himself. That's too simplistic. Right, generally, we, we hold our, our theology as the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Spirit, three persons, one essence. That's how we've defined the Trinity. And I know it's confusing still. That doesn't explain it even fully. But here's the thing. You cannot expect to understand God fully. Yes, I acknowledge it's confusing to say that Jesus needed God, and you think, well, wasn't Jesus God? Here's the thing. You will not understand God fully. This is one of the basic things you need to get in your mind as a Christian, that you cannot understand God. Verses 8 through 10. Although he was a son, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what? Through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're not going to get into who Melchizedek is, but what I want to focus on is that Jesus suffered. Jesus has been through it, church. He knows what it is to have family. He knows what it is to lose family. He knows what it is to have friends. He knows what it is to lose friends. Jesus knows what it is to love, and he knows what it is to be betrayed. One thing he doesn't know, though, is he doesn't know what it is to sin, but he knows the wage. He, he earned a wage he did not work for, though we worked plenty for it. Look, church, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I know exactly what you feel, or I know exactly what you've been through, or I know exactly what pain you've experienced, or I know exactly what kind of suffering you've endured. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I know exactly what you've gone through, but there is somebody who understands. Jesus. Jesus can understand every single one of you more than I could ever. Jesus understands what we've been through, whatever pain, whatever heartache, whatever loss you have experienced. Jesus knows. Because Jesus chose to be weak. Because Jesus identifies with our weakness. And guess what? Jesus provides eternal salvation. A future eternal salvation where there will be no more weakness. See, you won't have to worry about the weakness of the flesh. You won't have to worry about the flesh and its propensity to sin. You won't have to worry about the flesh and all sorts of harm that can befall it. You won't have to worry about any of that. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You won't have to worry about any of that. Pain, suffering, death. You won't have to worry about your weakness. See, one thing that Jesus made pretty clear is what he wanted to accomplish while he was on earth. Right? Jesus came down and became weak so that he could save us, a very weak and sinful people. Literally, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, Christ, who knew not sin, became sin so that we, in Christ, might become the righteousness of God. We have a very, very good thing to look forward to. Eternal salvation. But here's the thing. Jesus' work already began. Here's what you cannot do as a Christian. You cannot sit around waiting for this eternal salvation. You cannot sit around waiting for the future because, quite frankly, Christ's work already began. The work of bringing people to the righteousness of God, the work of healing people, the work of sanctifying people, the work of perfecting his power in their weakness, all that work already began. Do not sit around waiting for this eternal salvation. No, work already began and work can be done on you. Have you been sanctified? Have you had God's power perfected in your weakness? Maybe you haven't been worked on. Maybe you haven't put on Christ, but why not? He made a promise, right? A promise to change, a promise of salvation. Salvation from sin, death, suffering, pain, weakness. He's made a promise, so why not? Why not repent? Why not be immersed? Why not be changed. Some of you noticed that maybe I didn't finish all of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read all of it now, verses 1 through 13. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account, account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now people typically stop there, but verses 12 and 13 are very important Therefore, anytime you see therefore, it means something important's coming. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own what? Your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, Christ, he made a promise to you, made a promise to you to, to save you, save you from pain, save you from suffering. He's also made a promise to change you. See, Christianity, being a Christian, is not something you do on your own. It's not something you do by your own strength. Verse 13, 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you believe God can work through you? Do you believe God can actually change you? Maybe the reason we don't see enough people changed or changed by the Spirit or sanctified by the Spirit is because they don't actually believe God can change them. But God makes that promise. God makes a promise to change you. Do you believe him? So why not repent? Why not be immersed? Why not be changed? If you have any need, you can come now as we stand and sing.